This is a Glass Box Media Podcast. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Life's better with American Family Insurance. Because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to the Blank Podcast, a podcast where we delve into those frustrating moments with some well-known people. Uh, I'm Jim Daly, and joining me is a man who looks quite emotional, and we will explain why. Uh, it's Charles. No, me too. It's Charles Paley Phillips. Um, how you doing, mate? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. We, so, so this week's, I think we should go straight into discussing this week's podcast. It's because yeah, we've only just got to come off recording it. We've, yeah, so, we've just we've just yeah. done it. So we're sort of in the afterglow of the pod, and it is mm. the amazingly talented all-rounder i mean she's yeah. done so many Blimey, jobs yeah. uh, she's had such a life it's it's sarah barlando and mm. um this this podcast got really emotional didn't it, it did it did um i, I think i've read obviously read about sarah i've known sarah for a little while on social media and interacted with her but i didn't know very much about um this particular aspect of her life which she'd talked about recently on instagram she'd put a post about how 13 years ago she'd had a, a horrific car accident yeah um which had sort of curtailed her tennis career and um she was really open with us about it on the pod um and yeah there were i was welling up at times actually I have to say she was so um thoughtful in her words and and actually conveyed lots of minute details about what happened you know the minutiae of of going through that process which was a three-year uphill struggle for her after that yeah absolutely she's really open about it and i think this actually is one of those episodes that that is going to be really helpful to people actually that are going Mm. through any of their own difficulties uh, especially at the moment you know we talk we do talk about how the world is is a weird place at the moment um and i think there's a lot to be learned and gained from what Sarah says um, and just how honest she is about how it impacted her life. Um, it was wonderful. I, as I'm thinking 
And as we were listening to her, I was thinking she'd make such a great motivational speaker. Yeah, definitely. I want to see her TED talk. A TED talk, yeah. Oh, she's so good. You can tell she's an actor as well because she's really in tune with her emotion and it really comes out. But just such a a beautiful way of describing, you know, really quite impactful events. Um, Yeah, this is one of those special episodes. It is. And I think think we probably weren't expecting it necessarily. Sometimes we we don't always expect, you don't know what to expect sometimes when you talk to people and you kind of got an idea in your head Mm. where you might go with the podcast. We don't don't expect them too much. We we like to let people say what they want to say. We're not forcing them into talking about anything they don't want to. And it was nice that Sarah felt comfortable enough to be able to open up about it. Yeah, and I think um, we let those moments of the of the podcast breathe and you and I really ducked out of those moments and really let, uh, hopefully we really let Sarah express mm. herself and give her, gave her the time to do that. Um, Apart from that one time when an angel came into the room. Yeah. That's yeah. Such yeah. a nice phrase. It was. I love that. That was lovely at the end. Yeah. Quite near the end, wasn't it? But I think, yeah, during those moments, I think hopefully, you know, we were able to, to just sit back and actually listen and take on board what she was saying. Yeah. And I, I mean, yeah. I got very emotional. Well, shall we sit back and let our listeners listen? Maybe we'll do tweets at the end this yeah. week. And I think we'll just go straight into it. Uh, so this is Sarah Barlondo on The Blank Podcast. I've been um, starting my eighth week uh, in isolation. So... Uh, it's starting to, you know, add up. It's, uh, it's been a while now, but um, it's, it's, things are starting to be very normal at the same time. You know, I'm, I'm, I've accepted it. I'm just staying home and trying to get busy as I'm sure as a lot of people here. And, uh, but you know, as long as I'm home and healthy and safe, I don't want to, don't want to complain too much. No, no. And you're in London, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. in London. So how long have you been in London? I've been in London for five years now. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I have been. But I'm originally from France, but I lived in Mexico for a while before uh, coming here. Yeah, you've, yeah. Been all over, you've been all over the place, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm quite addicted to traveling, and uh, <laughs> but I think it's the first time. I, I Yeah, London feels like home, I think, uh, compared to other cities I've been in, and uh, I, I love it here. Where are you guys? So I live in, sorry, Jim, um, I live in a little town called Seaford, which is just on the mm-hmm. south coast, sort of in between okay. Brighton and Eastbourne. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's quite a sleepy town. I mean, it's interesting because you're up in London. I, I, It's so, doesn't feel like necessarily we're in a pandemic down here because really? it's just generally not that busy anyway yeah. so yeah. even wandering to town you don't see that many faces well, well um, yeah that, that's good i guess yeah yeah um but jim you're up in buckinghamshire i'm aren't in you? buckinghamshire in a place okay. called uh, chesham which is the uh, at the end of the metropolitan line uh, okay. which in my head yeah. means it's still London, even though it's definitely not London. <laughs> yeah. It's too far outside. But I'm kind of the same to Giles here, really, because we're sort of out in the in the countryside a bit. So where we are on our road, you sort of see the odd face, but no more or yeah. less so than you would, I think, normally. So That's crazy because here, I mean, it's when I look outside, it's as busy as usual. I don't see a difference, which is really? quite scary. Yeah. And is that, wow. always, is, that, is that recent that's changed or has that always been? It's always been. I just, I, I don't see any differences outside. It feels just the same. I feel like I'm the only one at home and I'm looking outside. <laughs> Everyone's walking. There are so many people. That's pretty, yeah. that's, that's kind of worrying actually. Yeah. Yeah. Where, yeah. Whereabouts, whereabouts in town are you? Uh, in Lambeth. 
which is okay. also very much affected. Uh, yeah. So I don't know. I don't think people are taking it very seriously around here, unfortunately. Mm, that's yeah. That's that's really frustrating because yeah, where we are, people seem to be. There was a really sweet moment. We had uh, one of our neighbors a few doors down. I've got a teenage daughter and she plays guitar. So the other night they stood on the driveway and she played uh, about 45 minute set with her guitar. She's really good. Oh, that's raising, great. raising money for a local charity. And we all came up to the end of our driveways and stood or sat social distancing yeah. listened to the concert and then everyone applauded and just went back in their houses. And it was a really nice moment wow. to see everyone and wave, but everyone was still being respectful. But it's frustrating. I think when you're doing it, and yeah. other people aren't because it kind of feels like, well, what's the point if we're either in this together or either all doing it or, or we're yeah. not? It's, it's kind of frustrating. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, even simple things as, you know, putting the trash out, going for your mail. I try to know there are always neighbors around and you try to keep your distance, but people are not, you can tell they just don't respect it. If one waits outside, the neighbors are not waiting outside or not doing anything to prevent it. So... Yeah, I've been trying to keep positive, but I'm doing my share of, you know, of whatever I can do. So, Well, you know, you're keeping yourself safe and that's, I guess that's yeah. all you can do really, isn't it, at this point? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. welcome to the blank. Thank you for having me. You're I'm frozen. very happy. Oh. No, you're good. Everyone's you're good. good. Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now... We normally start by um, talking about childhood. So you were born in France yeah. and you grew up in South of France. Yes, I grew up in the South of France, first 10 years of my life. Uh, then I got into tennis. So in order to play tennis and study at the same time, I moved to Florida to train intensively. And then my, well, nothing in my life is quite <laughs> hectic. But, um, and then I got scouted by the Mexican television when I was 16 while playing tennis, um, was combining both careers, uh, moved to Mexico. Then I had a car accident, which stopped my tennis career for three years and went back to acting. So I had my car accident in France, stayed in France for three years, then went back to Mexico to keep working. Um, I did that for five years and then I needed a pause for, from all the television and acting mm. world. And I wanted to, I think because of my accident, I wanted to learn and, and do something else and do a thousand things. Um, so I went back to school, went to study, um, went to New York to study architecture, uh, which then brought me to London. I transferred uh, to school in London, loved it and graduated two years ago. Um, and after that, I thought, okay, well, my real passion is acting. So I wanted to give it a shot. And uh it first castings worked out so i'm still here <laughs> still doing it <laughs> so how old were you when you went to florida then i was about 11 10 11 first time i was 10 wow. 10 years old so it's really young to go yeah. to a completely new country and you were living in florida as well yeah yeah i didn't speak english at the time so i had to learn english was still doing french school but had to speak english to go to then to american school and yeah it was quite a jump <laughs> And from a little town, I'm from a village in the south of France. It's very isolated. It's a little island. It's very, I mean, there are 5,000 people, but it's really, really small. So from that to then, a new country was quite an experience. But I think it helped me a lot. And now I'm very easy. <laughs> I <quite> click <laughs> into anything. <laughs> that must have been quite intimidating. I mean, you know, life is quite 
confusing when you're that age anyway and everything's quite yeah. difficult to then be sort of going to a different country that 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 must have felt must have been sort of quite a lot of trepidation I guess for you yeah yeah I think for me it was also in France I'm not sure about the English school system but in France you have to decide so early of what you want to be when you're 30 35 40 and at 10 years old I mean all I wanted to do was to play tennis so for me it was also I was so excited and I was really in the moment, I think. I wasn't, was finally given the chance to do what I want to do in life. Uh, and I had to work hard from so young. So I think, uh, yeah, it makes you, you have to learn from 10 years old. You have to learn all the adult things like finding an apartment, who are you going to live with? Do you get along? And then all the bills and what is this? And do I have to pay this kind of things? Really? I mean, things you don't <laughs> think about when you're 10. So, um, yeah, it was quite a change, but I really, I, I enjoyed it so much. And, uh, I had spent so much energy to convince my parents and people that this is, was, this was really what I was, I wanted to do. And I was serious about it. So I think I was just, <gasps> finally liberated <laughs> were they supportive of, of this yeah 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 very supportive I, I was always a very active kid uh I think they were happy for me to find something I could put my energy on they put me they made me try every single sport every single activity nothing kept my focus or nothing drained me enough to make me sleep at night so I think they were super happy for me <laughs> to find that um they were supportive. They always, uh, well, I'm really thankful. And, and the day I have kids, that's, I think that would be my philosophy as well, is that you, know, you can do anything, but if you choose a path, do it 100%. So they were supportive as long as I gave 100% of uh, my energy and discipline in that. Yeah, my, my parents, my dad is very much the same because I, I changed my career every six months, pretty much. Ah. And, uh, <laughs> he's always like... As long as you've got a plan, if you've got a plan and you can tell me what your plan is and you're going to go for it, great. You can I'll exactly. support you, I help you wherever. But as long as you're going to be serious about it and have a plan, then exactly. go for it. And I think that kind of advice and support is invaluable. And I've, I've got a young daughter as well. And I, I feel like you, like I'm going to try and pass that on as well and be as supportive as possible because we all need a platform and support to, to realize our dreams, yeah. whatever they are. Yeah, exactly. And I think confirmation as well in the back of your mind, it's always there knowing that, okay, they're supportive. It's just, you know, affirming what my decision and giving that boost of confidence that when you're so young, you need and just knowing your parents are fine with that gives you a lot of peace, I think. Yeah. So were you there, were you there on your own? No, Did my mom to... came with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, my dad was still working in France, so he was going back and forth uh, whenever he could. Uh, but thankfully, my mom could be there uh, with me. Um, thank God. I mean, I don't, I can't imagine going that young and by myself. Even if you know, I was still seeing her very little. Uh, training eight hours a day and then going to school wow. was. It was, yeah, very different life. But, um, yeah, she was there with me, thank God. Uh, some years going back and forth, and, but I was still with, you know, after a couple of years, you, may, you make your 
your group of friends becomes your, becomes your family as well. So mm. I became very comfortable quickly. Yeah. I was going to say, yeah, is it difficult when you're sort of going to school and training that harder stuff to have friends and to keep friends because your schedule must be very different to a lot of the other kids? Yeah, you don't, you make friends within the sport. You don't, you know, it's the people at school, you see them, especially in the US, you have three, four hours a day of school when, when you're playing sports. So you don't have time uh, to really make friends. It's, I, you know, I, I'm still in touch with some of them, but it's not the friendship I have with the tennis, uh, my tennis family. It's there are people you really make friends with in your practice group and people you suffer with, as I always say. Yeah. yeah. Again, it comes to support, doesn't it? You still, yeah. you know, if you're, you're suffering through this thing together, you need to support yeah. each other because you'll be the same age and you'll be of the same worries and stuff. And Wow, I'm already getting a theme of support for this episode, actually, which is quite. <laughs> but it's cl- it's clearly something that's really important. I think we all we are sort of lone creatures in a way as humans, but we are also pack animals, and we need this support yeah. around us to help us achieve whatever we want to. Yeah, and I think even as adults, you know, talking to this group of friends is always, you know, we went through the same type of childhood, which was very typical childhood and I, I didn't realize it at the time and uh you know you have conversations that you cannot have you know complaining about tennis stuff seems very superficial or we were lucky but it is a crazy tough uh life uh i always say the day i have kids i don't want them to play tennis nothing against tennis but <laughs> i don't regret anything i really enjoyed it it taught me so much but it's a very tough sport where you, you give your hundred percent and you might have, you might have 0% in return of what you invest of mm. yourself, your energy. So I wouldn't want my kids to go through it. Uh, it's very tough sport. So when you, you know, talking to these uh, these people that become your family is always very special. It must, it must be a sport though, that has more blank moments you know, if we're we're tying it back to the podcast, then a lot of other sports, you know, in team sport, I play a lot of football. I say play, Mm -hmm. I'm mostly on the bench, but in theory, I'm... (laughs) You watch a lot of football. I watch a lot. I'm very good at running the line, actually. (laughs) So um, you make a mistake, your teammates are there to support you, you lose a match, you lose together, you win together. But if you're playing an individual sport, like tennis, or I guess like golf and stuff, you've got your coach, I guess, there, or your caddy in golf, but really you're out there on your own. So there must be... Bigger blank moments for an individual sports person. It's it, that's I think what impacted me the most because you know even if you have your when you're advanced enough on the ranking you can have your team such as your coach maybe a parent coming with you and but still you know if you lose a match you don't it's not that you're on bad, you're not on bad terms but everyone is in a bad mood and you don't want, you cannot really have a chat you're really alone and even if you win a tournament in tennis. So when you play a tournament, every week you go somewhere different. So whenever you lose a match, you go straight to your next destination. So if you're the winner, you end up alone and you don't have no one to celebrate with. It's really, it's a very lonely sport. Um, and those friends that you make, you don't see them when you're on tour because you can't be best friends with the people you're playing tournaments uh, against. Uh, unfortunately, I think I became best friends with them or my we really became friends once I was out of the tour. Um, And then the ones you make friends with are back home training, playing other tournaments. Um, It's a very lonely sport. I think that's what I I remember moments when I was 15, 16, I always said, I miss having friends. I miss my friends. And I, I 
realize now how how um, difficult it was. It sounded very also very superficial because oh well you have so much support and you have your family and your coach or your team. Why you know are you missing that? I wasn't depressed, but it was it was a void definitely in my life. I wanted. I think that's also why I went back to school when I was twenty five because I wanted that camaraderie. I wanted to have you know the student life and going to school and a schedule and and not going on my own. You can't talk to anyone. You go, you play, you do your work, and back home. I wanted to just you know I'm gonna talk to anyone. I'm gonna be in class and yeah. Uh, expand my network i guess you know of friendships and that's something that's kind of hit you later in life as opposed to the time i guess you're just going along with it but something that you notice more as you were getting older yeah yeah i remember at the time i knew that this was a huge void in my life but i didn't think that could have impacted the sport or what i was on my my game uh, but now I'm sure uh, if I could have done something different, I'm sure I would try and still have friendships, whatever people say, and mm. have more friends in, tour, in, in the secret. And uh, uh, But I'm sure because at some point, everyone has the technique. It's the mental game, mental strength, psychological mm. aspect of the game that makes a difference. So I think that, yeah, I, 100%, I'm definitely convinced that that made a difference. And I realized that, even when I was from 16 to 25, when I was then television, Mexico and acting, I think it's kind of the same. Uh, you do have friends, but they still have, you, you cannot be 100% friends with all the girls and um, because they're the same competition, castings, get the role. Even if mm-hmm. I don't see it like that, I don't see it that way uh the the industry is still that's how it works unfortunately um and uh when i left mexico i i think i i told myself well that's it i don't want being that uh kind of environment i want to i think you know i see it the way i see it so then i realized that after that when i was about 25 so 10 years after my tennis uh when I was playing junior tennis. Mm. Um, and yeah, but I, yeah. You, and, and then I think, you know, what made a difference? So I'm going all over. I'm talking it's about okay, don't worry. things. Right. You <laughs> it in triggered in a lot in me <laughs> to reflect <laughs> on. Um, and I think once I had, I had this car accident when I was 19, I think it made me realize then uh, we have one life then well, why do we have this competition? Why not enjoy? We're all different, especially girls. I'm French in Mexico. I look like this. I'm not going to have the same voice and the same look as this, the other one. There is a spot for everyone. I'm never going to be the 100% Mexican in this film. I will always be the international one. Uh, so I think it made me realize a lot of things that all this was unnecessary. I'm absolutely fascinated by this idea of being friends with people you're in competition with because surely all these people want, they need the support from each other. They want to be friends. Like yeah. surely, especially on like the tennis circuit, you want to be friends with the people because you're going through the shared experience 
and you want to have someone to talk to. And yet there's this barrier. I mean, literally a tennis net, literally a barrier stopping you from being friends. It's a really weird juxtaposition. We hear about, you know, like Murray and Djokovic are like best friends and were best men at each other's weddings and stuff like that. But even so, they were competing with each other at the time. It's such a weird, as you're talking about it, I'm just thinking this is such a weird sort of dichotomy. You, You want to be friends, but you can't. It must be such an odd feeling. Yeah. Guess, uh, sorry, I was going to say. I guess sometimes it's a bit like you. I think you you alluded to it. Is that superficiality of it? Um, you know, it's that your friends on a level, but underneath there's still that kind of rivalry. Yeah, kind of there's oh, a lot. There. Sometimes it's always a, a, the other person might be assuming that you're talking to them because you want to get some information about yeah. anything. Um, <laughs> when you sometimes you know you're completely honest. You just want to be a kids and have friends um and i think and but then once that barrier comes down uh which came down when i had my car accident when they told me you never come back to tennis you're done i became best friends these are my best friends they're my family and we realize how much we have in common they approached me supported me sent me messages and you know i think yeah, there's that barrier when everything could be so much better if people didn't um, take that uh, approach. And same in acting. I, my best friends are tennis players or actors because we're going through the same things. And it's also uh, because I'm still acting. It's still, I think, earning trust from people, uh, showing that, you know, we're going to share. Oh, I have... The, because when you're an actor, people don't tell you when you're let's say between women they're gonna tell you they're not gonna tell you i have this casting for this in case you get it as well or you try Mm. to get it but now we earn that trust if you know we share that information with each other with like normal people we don't think about going behind their back and i think it's just time it took 10 years (laughs) or more (laughs) and that is so empowering i think when people are honest with each other it empowers both of you yeah and you end up actually being way more supportive than if you thought oh i won't mention this because whatever actually you're 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 so much more connected if you're honest with each other and i think it it helps everyone yeah 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 absolutely and i think especially unfortunately women (laughs) there's so much competition between girls and women and once they come together they have so much more strength and i believe in that Mm. and uh so thankfully there is a little group of I'm sure there's more, but within my circle <laughs> of great women that I understand it as well and they're all about supporting each other. So, you know, whenever someone has a project, you share that person's project, whatever you can do to support you, you do it. So going back to, you've mentioned it a few times, the car accident you had. I know you've posted about it this week on Instagram. Yeah. Um, it obviously seems like it was a fairly defining moment in your life. Obviously, it meant that tennis maybe became something that you weren't going to do anymore. Um, yeah. Are you happy to talk about it? Yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No problem. Um, Look, yeah, it's been 13 years. And yeah. I think yesterday when I shared it was really the first time that I shared as much information on mm. social media. And I th- I'm really at peace with it. And whatever, you know, if sharing my story can help even one person. And I'm more than happy, yeah. Mm. So what... Can you tell me what, what, what happened? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, so I was 19 at the time. Um, I was living in Mexico and went to France for a week. Uh, and the next day I arrived, um, my father fell asleep driving 
uh, works too much. Just I was sleeping, I was jet lagged, and so he had no company to keep him up, and he fell asleep on the highway, straight road, uh, no one on the highway, and um, yeah, and I woke up uh, 40 hours later uh, after coma was taken by a helicopter and thankfully there was just I think I was unfortunately this is a ter- this was a terrible accident but I was what I always say I had the best condition to have an accident mm. I had just um, a doctor on holiday I'm from the south of France a lot of uh, people from the north come down and a doctor on holiday was just behind us and an ambulance happened to be there as well so wow. they gave me the first uh, urgent care and um woke up 40 hours later and then it was a really um trying to survive for the next following six weeks uh where i had a surgery every other day um and i had 18 in total during that time um to try to save uh, my arm and then my right hand and seeing um head trauma broken ribs broken wrists uh yeah I had a lot and uh yeah I mean I was a professional tennis player and waking up after 48 hours I was I didn't know I didn't see it happening so for me I, I even woke up speaking Spanish I thought I was still in Mexico I had just arrived I didn't see anything about I they told me I was awake, but I, I forgot because I had head trauma. Yeah. Um, that period is very blurry for me. Uh, but I remember a defining moment was when I woke up uh, and they told me, look, you need to be strong and we need to save your right arm. And then the first thing is for me, it was everything about my job. And I was a tennis player. I don't think they could have been, you know, apart from dying, obviously, but telling me that it, the, the issue was my, right arm and then my right hand was uh yeah i was destroyed at the time and i was very shocked i happened to have the luck i was so in shock that i was speaking spanish even though it's not even my first language um the the doctor that was just uh in charge of me at the intensive care happened to be from argentina he came talked to me came down i i think uh, yeah i i'm not I almost call it luck, but I had all these elements that I remember gave me a lot of peace. And then it was, yeah, a day to day. I took it like, I always said I took it like a tennis tournament. When you, if you want to win a tennis tournament, you cannot think about the final. You need to take it match by match and reset every day and analyze it. And what are we going to do today? Success. And we keep going. Um, so I really went from being a 19 year old thinking about, okay, at 30, I will retire, and then I can maybe be a TV presenter for tennis, whatever. Um, That whole plan just got crushed, and I think I grew up 30 years in a day. Um, In, in, yeah, it makes you grow up. It changes your perspective on life. It completely changed my objectives. Of course, I want to be successful in what I do, but I also take care a lot more about myself, personal life, and enjoying every moment. It's not about all about work. Of course, you need to work and you want to be successful, but it's also about we have one life. I also want to enjoy 
uh, that day to day, you know, whatever it is, even isolation is hard. But I remember yesterday when I, I was just, for me, it's a, when I celebrated those 13 years of post accident, it is for me a celebration because I think even if it was hard and I still have annual medical checks and make sure everything is okay and a lot to go through still every year for my entire life, I still feel that it gave me the chance to realize how much I can enjoy in life. I don't think I would have, um, my twenties, I would have enjoyed what I did. I think I would have still, what I, when I think about it, I would still be hitting a yellow ball for the next 10 years and haven't seen anything else. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, when it's simple things, when you come out, I had been in a bed for six weeks. Uh, I, you know, I used to train before that eight hours a day. After six weeks in a bed, I couldn't even walk. You know, just standing up, you pass out. Um, that was hard, I think, seeing how you lose control over your body. But so then when you go out and you feel the, the air on your face and the sunshine, like simple things. Or it sounds very... Um, Cliche, I would say. <laughs> Let's use a French word. Mm. <laughs> it sounds very cliche, but it's true. It's uh, things I didn't see before. I was in tennis, in acting. It was all about me, 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 me. And I think that maybe I've seen worse than me in at the hospital and physical therapy mm. than after that for three years. Um, way worse. So I think it, it makes you realize well, I'm lucky I'm here. Uh, what can I do? What Then I got involved a lot in disability rights and my architecture studies evolved all around accessibility and, and research around uh, yeah, accessibility and disability rights and, and all the legal uh, aspects around it, um, which I don't think I would have even... It's not that I didn't care, but I was very mature um, to realize how important it was or how um, or the lack of accessibility and, and, and of rights some people have. Uh, so yeah, it definitely impacted me, uh, a lot. I took me some time, you know, just to recover physically was about when, when the, the accident happened first, the doctor told me, um, it's going to take three years for your brain to assimilate what's new, how, what you can do, what you cannot do. I lost over 90% of the function of my right hand, which wow. is something I didn't share until a year or two almost. I didn't, I was trying, I think it was more for me a disability to try to hide it than to actually accept it and live with it. And if people have a problem with it, too bad, they're not around me you know and unfortunately there are people like that and i discovered who my true friends are and people you know in my industry i go to a casting do i say it do i not say it when am i supposed to share it is that going to be a problem you know i had to learn everything from i was right-handed everything left-handed and when you're a girl you've even like how am i going to put makeup on how am i going to do my hair simple thing that you care but that makes you feel good so took me a while and it did take me three years um to really um feel that i was then living a no almost normal daily life again and then a couple more years um 
to be able to share it. I didn't share it with anyone, I think, except my parents and doctors. I don't think I, until I was uh, 27, 28 in architecture school when I had no choice but to ask for help. You have to make models. You have to glue stuff. Mm. You need help. So, and um, some professors were really supportive, some not as much because I look fine. I'm fine. Uh, but sometimes I need help with some things and it's mm. not because I people assume, unfortunately, um, when that a disability is, might be visible or that you have to, unfortunately, let's say airport. Same. I'm going all the way here. I'm sorry. You stop me. If I <laughs> no, keep going. Keep going. Um, airports, for example, huge issue. Uh, you need sometimes if you travel alone, you have those bags. You when you have to do everything on one side, you have a lot of issues that come, that arise from not being able to use one side of your body. And uh, and if you need help, they assume that because you don't look retarded, because you don't look sick, that you don't have a disability or a problem, or that you might not require and might not be able to. Uh, have access to some of the help when you are, when you've been through those medical checks and all, with all everything you're, you're, you need to do to, you know, have whatever, you know, if you need a disability card, it's not, they, like, they, unfortunately, there are a lot of assumptions, a lot of, um, which I've tried and I'm trying to change. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, uh, so it has opened me up to this world that I had no idea about and uh, not that I didn't care, but you know, you, you, you're the human, like, human beings are by nature, I think selfish. So you don't, you think about your little world that you don't think about what doesn't affect you, which I think is, we can see a little bit with this pandemic is that a lot of people are being selfish because it's not affecting them or until they know someone close that had, the virus, they start taking action. Hmm. So yeah, I've learned a lot from 19. I think I grew up, I was 45 in a day. And then <laughs> <laughs> I've been an old lady since then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, I think, sorry, Charles, I think we're talking about support again. And I think when, when you go through something as catastrophic as that, people's true colors come out. So you learn quite quickly who are the people yeah. that do care about other people that are there to support you and, and who doesn't. And it sounds like you went through that and yeah, people very absolutely. quickly sh showed their true colours. And I think you're right, you can link that back to the pandemic now as well. Who are the people that genuinely are um, empathetic towards other people and who aren't? And actually it takes big things like this for people's colours to come out. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I've. it was also a huge shock for me at the time when I was very naive and I was... With friendships, I was very surprised by some people that who disappeared, didn't show any support, or didn't even care, or were happy I wasn't uh, playing anymore, or whatever, and then got support and emails. So we didn't have, at the time, it's not that far, but we don't have WhatsApp. We didn't have Wi-Fi at the hospital. I don't, even, I don't know if they have it now, but at the time, I didn't have my laptop to spend time and chat with people. I had a lot of time on my hands, and I got letters from people I never expected uh, were going to be that supportive. And I will always remember, uh, yeah, those people that have been there for me and uh, some people that were calling me every single day. 
um, or after every surgery to know how I was doing. But I, yeah, I've really been surprised. Um, I've been through that for sure. That the people are supporting me, I never expected that. Of course, let's say outside of your family and parents, I did expect that. <laughs> 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 but, uh, and some friends that I thought I was close and totally disappeared. So, um, and reappear maybe 10 years later, but it's still, you know. Yeah, yeah. So you were acting at the time as well when, when that happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was so the Mexican television, mm. they have this old school Hollywood style um, uh, studio. So they have a school, they train their actors and then you work for them. Uh, and I had been scouted when I was 16 and offered a scholarship uh, to study there. So they have a three-year course. And I was at school there at the, at, and at the same time going to to shoot soap operas, uh, novelas. And um, so I had a crazy schedule. I was training 5 a.m. to 8 or 9 a.m., then going to school, then shooting in the afternoon. Um, yeah, I was doing both. I think, you know, unfortunately... I was, I'm still very stubborn, but I think at the time even worse, um, I couldn't choose between acting and tennis. And I think, I don't think it was a healthy life that I was living. I was healthy, but I wasn't, it was too intense. It was too much. Mm. And I wanted to do everything. I didn't want to drop tennis that I had in, I had invested so much on, on that sport. Um, unfortunately life made that choice for me. It didn't give me an option. So yeah, I, I see it that way. I don't know if it's the right way, but yeah, I think it's, uh, yeah, it's how I found, um, you know, because the first question you ask when those things happen is why, why, why me? I didn't do anything wrong. Mm. I don't, like, I believe in karma and that things come around, but I really had, had not done anything wrong at the time. Uh, so yeah, I think, uh, I think, yeah, that's how I said, I think life made, made that decision for me and, uh, didn't give me the choice to go back to the sport. And, um, and honestly, um, of course it, it sucks. And I, I was the worst time of my life, but I don't regret not playing anymore, to be honest. There's Sounds a, a bit. <laughs> no, I totally understand that. There's, there's, a, there's an English footballer called uh, Matt Janssen who used to play for the team that Charles and I <laughs> I was wondering how long it would be, Jim. Before <laughs> so many parallels. So he was uh, uh, not much older than you and he got into a motorcycle accident in Rome and was in a coma for a, a week. And I... he wrote a book last year, I think it was, about <laughs> his recovery from it. And it was, this is 2002, so nearly 20 years ago. Mm. And he talked about having to relearn trying to relearn football, trying to relearn to walk and then relearn football, this thing that, you know, like you with tennis, this thing he devoted so much time to doing, trying to relearn again. And he never, he was a very good player, played for England or once, I think, and then never got back to that level. And he spoke about the psychological impact of trying to accept, I can't do this thing that I was amazing at, you know, one of the best in the world, really. Uh, yeah. I'm wondering what your journey was like with the psychological, you talked about the physical recovery, but the psychological recovery must have gone on much, much longer and, and must have been, yeah. you know, really difficult. Yeah, I, I get that frustration a lot. I'm, I get so frustrated. I, I, I play that, so I managed to find a way that I can play. So my backhand is not bad, but I play, try to play double-handed. My forehand now is terrible, terrible, terrible. And it's so frustrating for me. I'm, I'm always... 
I don't, for me, tennis was a job, so I'm not going to be driven by on the, on one day and say, Oh, let's go play tennis. Let's go have fun. For me, it was, I had to go to practice. I had to train. So I don't have this, that initiative unless my friends tell me, can, can we go play? Please let's go. And if we go, I always have a little moment, not a breakdown, but a sh- it's, it's not, not nice. It's not great. I go into that moment of huge, huge frustration and, and sadness. Cause I, exactly what you said. I cannot, I used to be so good at this sport. And I, even if people think I still play pretty well for me, it's, yeah. I'm, I'm at 1% of what I used to be able to do. Um, you held yourself at such a high. Regard. Yeah. And when for me it was that if I go and play tennis, you know, I'm going to train, I'm go- I have to give hundred percent. And it's not even that I'm not trying, I'm trying to give hundred percent. But it's my body is not allowing me, which is extremely tough when you don't have the like, same when you get sick or when you have an accident, you lose control over your body. You, you don't, you can't decide. It has, it's going to decide for you and you don't have a say. Uh, and that's, that's a huge, um, uh, it's a huge pain every time. I still, I mean, the first time about three, four years after my accident, my friends invited me. I was in Paris at the time in physical therapy and I had played um, friends playing the French open. I went to see them and I think it's the first time that I cried and cried and cried so much because I was supposed to be there at that time. Um, and, um, I was forced to go because it was also very therapeutic and advised that I should be going and confront it. And I'm glad I did. Um, but yeah, there is still that uh, huge pain whenever I play. So I, re- I, st- I still force myself and try to go and, and I still go because every time is better. Yeah. Um, but it is, it is difficult. I have had the chance to do a couple commercials, uh, being the tennis player. Um, and because I'm, I'm still good. I still, you know, when you have the swing, when you've trained some for so many years, you, you look professional on, on the court and they can tell. So I still booked the job without telling anyone at casting. I went, did what I asked me to do. It worked. Um, but, uh, I've also lost jobs, unfortunately. Uh, I recently, unfortunately it happened just before the, the, the lockdown, um, it's because you can do everything they need, but maybe then you have a fitting and you need, you know, I have scars, I had 20 surgeries in total. I, I need to tell the costume designer, please, can we put this here so we don't sit? And then people talk and then they find a reason to cancel the job just in case you're not able to do the action when you have done it in casting, which is, which is also a very difficult thing to go through where you can't do anything about it because it's, it's so, uh, of course it's discrimination, but it's so hard to prove. It's so subjective because it's a casting. They could f- find anything else. Oh, we wanted a blonde. I don't know. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard. So these times, yeah. Uh, going back to tennis, um, so both of those things have been difficult, but I mean, I'm fine with it. I have accepted that 
I know that my life is better now in a way. Um, and I think I, you know, I've, I've done during this last 10 years, I did things that maybe I would have wanted, I would have thought about when I, in 20 years or realized that I could have done or other interests that I didn't know I had. Um, but that frustration of, I think the athletes frustration and again, very lonely moment because you don't, it's hard to find people that going through the exact same, uh, process or healing or, uh, so that has been, that has been difficult. It's not, you know, I'm not going through, I don't go, when I go to play tennis, I don't go through, uh, depression or I've, that's way behind, I think, (laughs) but it's, um, I take it like another challenge now. So now I'm this tennis player. I have those skills. Can I get better? And I try to find tricks or now I cannot serve. So my challenge is to find a way to serve. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's like a, that's like a sports person's mentality isn't it? <laughs> yeah. of getting the challenge and getting, and getting through it. But as you're talking now, I'm just thinking you're being so honest and open and it, it, it's, it's really, we really appreciate it. It's really wonderful. But life, that moment in the casting is obviously very wrong and shouldn't happen. And yet, these are things that happen in life. Life is incredibly unfair. Life is yeah. really unfair for lots of people. And there'll be people listening to this podcast as well who will be going through their own difficulties and, and feeling that life is unfair. But when you've got someone like yourself talking about it so openly, I think it's really helpful. And I think there'll be people listening who will be able to be helped through, again, we come back to that support thing. It's supported through their difficult moments. Because life ultimately is out of our hands. It's unfair. It's difficult. When we hear people talking about their own struggles, I think it gives us this this solace, this connection, this support to get through them. Because again, we're all connected and we need each other. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, exactly. And I mean, I I I remember that at the time when this happened to me, I tried to, you know, find anything similar to my story. And he helped me so much reading uh, other people's stories, uh, knowing that they were living a happy life and they were doing things they loved after losing everything. And, and so I same when I go to physical therapy or if I have to go to my medical checkups, I used to same hide it, not talk. It's also a very difficult moment, but now I see a little 10 year old that is going through that physical therapy and, and show her or him and talk to her. And I see, they lighten up that, oh, oh, she, she looks happy and she looks fine. And she's also like me. I'm not the only one in this world and I'm not weird. I'm not, um, I think we all have uh, disability or not. We all have differences. And I think that um, I want to show that it shouldn't be seen. There are difficulties, but I don't think it should be seen as a weakness. Um, that it's not because you have a disability that you're, that you're unable to, or incapable of doing things or achieving um, uh, what you want to do. Um, so, yeah, I decided only a year or two ago that if the opportunity arises, I would share, I would share it. I would talk about it. And I think every time I realize that it's the right decision, I'm, if, even if it's one person, I think it's, it's enough. There's no end goal in sharing it it's really just whatever if it reaches someone he helps that it's i'm sure same right now with this coronavirus a lot of people 
lost other people. They lost everything. Other people lost their jobs. It's it's a tough, tough moment. And I hope that you know whoever listens to my story knows that you you're gonna go through dark times and difficult times. But it's also part of the healing process. If you go through that, allow yourself you know to have this uh, tough time process it but then move on like a tennis player you know go through it okay take a day or two go cry you know be negative but then you need to have an action plan and find other ways to to be, build yourself up and it's not impossible it's really not and i think yeah and i think actually you're taking ownership of your story mm. and you're not letting those certain moments define you as a person um you're allowing yourself to to shine through and and show others that um you know we are capable as human beings of getting through very dark and difficult moments yeah 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 i had from the when i was 10 years old i had invested every single thing in my life was planned and invested for tennis and i as i said i didn't do anything wrong to to lose it, but from one in a second, my dream got uh, crashed. So when you have everything planned, I think, and you lose everything, I think, yeah, the biggest lesson is that also, of course, have an action plan, have goals, but don't, life doesn't happen the way you plan it. There are no deadlines. No. There are no, oh, by 30, I will be retiring from tennis, <laughs> and then I will go study this, and then at that age, and I have kids at that age. It doesn't happen that way. Life will take you. I think as long as you have that power of adaptation and, and finding how to get through to your goal and to your objective with all the obstacles that are going to come your way, um, you're good. <laughs> I think, Giles, I think this might be the most inspiring podcast we've done. Oh. <laughs> I'm, getting quite emo- so. I'm getting quite emotional listening to this. Yeah, I've, the I've, same here, it's the, like, the best chat I've had. <laughs> I've been getting emotional yeah. as well. I'm feeling very uplifted, actually. I think this is yeah. a very uplifting podcast. But just, just, Sarah, as you're talking there about life doesn't have plans, it goes back to what you were saying earlier at the start of the podcast. I think, I think the world sets up young people sometimes to feel like you do have to have a plan and that, you know, life is kind of scheduled like that, but, but it's not, exactly. life is so random. Life it's so random. random. You don't, I never thought I would end up in London. I was from this little island in the south of France, only spoke French. I never thought I would then be in Mexico. I would have yeah. told you, you're crazy. And, but I think it's being, you have to be able to, you know, catch those opportunities and just be open and be flexible and understand that, it's it's also okay if things don't work out some it's always um it sounds again very cliche to say it's it's meant to be that way um it doesn't mean you have to do accept anything that's going your way you know i think trust your gut your instinct you have to really if you feel this is the right thing to do and and taking you i think it's also a thing that changed uh, since my accident. Instead of having a 10-year uh, goal, every day, as long as I'm learning a little bit every day and moving a step forward to that goal, one step at a time, I'm happy. I'm much more content than what I, when you have a 10-year goal and it's, there's a lot of frustration. 
And same when you're young, it's so much pressure to know what you want to, how you're going to structure the next 20 years of your life from 10 to 30 years old. I, I see it as impossible. Yeah, I totally agree. And if you can be the sort of person who is open-minded and ready to go with the flow. And you know, Giles and I freelance creative people, so we understand that as well exactly. with our careers. And a lot of people that come on the podcast are the same. And if you can be open to, you're so right. If you can be open to things going well, but things to also not going well, it's yeah. almost like those are kind of the stronger moments. And then you're like, okay, you reevaluate. Okay, here I am. What do I do now? That, that's what gets you through. But, but it's hard. Yeah. It's not easy. The, the, I see the, the tough moments, even if you don't want them to happen, it's food to your success, to that little tree that's growing. Uh, I don't want to sound too like, uh, philosophical, but um, I see it like that now. Even, if, even when it happens now, I'm human. I'm going to make mistakes and also maybe spend too much time thinking about something negative that has happened, but then I remind myself uh, why. Um, I think those, as a creative, you, you know that in order to be creative, you, you need to have first experience. You need to have, uh, to create memories and they're not always good. And to cultivate that creativity, you need to go, at least for me, how it, how it works. I get so creative when I'm not in a good place. And so um, I think this, these moments are uh, the lowest you are, at least the lowest I've been. When, this, when you go through it, you just, you're the higher in life you've ever been. So take it as a gift that if you're so in such a dark place, you don't know how long it's going to last. It lasted three years for me the hospital for intensive care for three months and then three years of physical therapy in a center. It's a very long time when you're 19 and very impatient. So, but now what is it? Three years in, in my life. It's already 13 years ago. Uh, I never thought I would be here 13 years ago and in, in happy and, or not even happy. I think I say I'm, I'm in peace. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm in peace. And, uh, so, but why? Because all this happened, really. And so I, w- I would tell people, take it as a, as a gift because you will, all this will make you first uh, appreciate so much more when something good happens, even if it's very little and simple, but also nurture whatever you want to build. Yeah. That's a very powerful yeah. thing to say. <laughs> Perspective. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so you've gone into something really easy like acting, uh i'm getting emotional too guys (laughs) um yeah exactly i'm playing with my emotions but you know what before that i was controlling everything in my life so much and since that happened now going to castings it's not that i don't want the job of course i want the job and i want them to book me and i want to be the best but if they don't it's okay I have a life to live. There's also, there will be another one and it's not the end of the world. There is worse. Uh, but I think I've also, that has allowed me to get so much freedom and liberate myself so much more. And I'm able to play with my emotions so much better than I used to. I'm, I feel free on when working on scenes, I'm not controlling as much. It, it did remove a filter I had. That's for sure. 
but uh, yeah it's also a very tough career and like a lot of people well, all my projects have been cancelled due mm. to the coronavirus or all the castings are on pause and I'm sure you know as a creative uh, you know that you can be working on projects and you're not paid when you're working on preparing mm. a project and now it's also on pause so how do you you know so it's going to be a tough, tough uh, next, hopefully, no more than three or six months, but who knows. But I think, uh, yeah, as a self-employed, you're always a bit prepared for any, you, you know, you're going to have those moments of mm. not because of a virus, but you're always prepared for maybe a six months period of without a job. So I think we are maybe the best prepared people on this planet, <laughs> <laughs> always expecting uh, to be unemployed. <laughs> yeah. Well, you've you've given yourself other avenues. Obviously, you said you went back to university, college, and did your architecture. Yeah, you've given yeah. yourself mm. other ways of being creative um, yeah. and actually being able to make a living if you wanted to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm still, I, I, I'm glad I did. But it's, I think, architecture. It's a very architecture school is very tough, and it was also a very intense five year of my life but then I also discovered that the practice is very different uh, than what you study at school I love yeah. the entire design process having the idea it's my baby that it's going to grow and I'm going to see the final uh, product and then in real life it's, it doesn't work that way in a practice you are assigned one task and that's all you do and it's not your project and it, you, have, you have to go through so many years before you can actually sign a drawing um, you know, it's, I have friends that have PhDs and they still cannot sign a drawing because you need to then go through Rebop part mm. three, which is a very, very tough process. And I specialize in forensic architecture, which is legal and emergency architecture. So, um, areas of conflicts, war zones, uh, crime zones and areas that have been damaged by natural disasters. So, it's also very tough. Um, it's very, uh, they're very tough events to witness. And I don't think I want to go through it now. I think I need a little bit of <laughs> space. Yeah, I can understand that. Um, after studying, after studying it for, for a while, I think I know it's something that I can do uh, in the future. And it, that definitely does bring a lot of peace. Same going to casting. Yeah. I feel much more, not powerful, but I feel more grounded and I know I have something else and I know, um, yeah, it's, it doesn't evolve just around um, acting. It did, even if it's not something I want to practice now, it did give me a lot of peace and knowing that, well, if it doesn't work out, I have something else. Um, yeah, definitely. If I, I was going to say, yeah. yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like um, since you're, um, accident that you've you obviously you found this piece but you've also found um you might have had this before but certainly now it's come to the fore this idea of giving back something. yeah yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you've obviously said you've got involved with disability um charities and stuff but also like the you know you didn't just do regular architecture you wanted to do something <laughs> that had a purpose yeah for, to, yeah. for, for, for the greater good yeah. and for, for for more vulnerable people so um yeah it just feels like you know that that was an awakening moment for that side of your yeah absolutely well. absolutely um yeah as you said maybe i had it in me but i didn't know uh, mm. but that event definitely opened me up to 
coming to realization that yes, I have this, but I can walk. I can, you know, I'm so much better than other people that have, uh, um, you know, uh, are, are more affected by other disabilities and cannot take action. So, um, yeah. And I don't see myself when I'm involved in a project, whatever it is as, um, acting, tennis, architecture, I need to be passionate about it. And I, during uh, traditional architecture, I didn't see that I had, I could have a change or make an impact. Uh, yeah, of course it's great if you can, you know, design a house and you make a good living out of it, but I didn't see a purpose. I didn't see, I wanted to have when, so I, I Googled and it really came randomly. I Googled, I had, so in the first year of, um, university in the U S it's a general, uh, general studies. So I was doing, you can elect your, select your courses. And I was doing law, politics and architecture and, and arts. And I Googled legal architecture and that came up. And even some, some of my tutors didn't even know about it. It's very, I was the only one in my class. Uh, and they're very, the only firm in the world is in London, uh, forensic architecture. And I really, I knew that was, if I had to practice architecture, that would be definitely the only kind mm. of architecture I would, um, I would do. Um, you see a direct, it, 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 it's, you know, you, you are commissioned as a forensic architect when human rights have been violated. So mm-hmm. just from the start, you know, you're going to you'd be able to make a change and, and see, and see, uh, um, you know, a direct impact. So, um, yeah, I was very, very, I'm still very passionate about it, but I want, you know, as we have one life, I'm still giving my, myself the chance to, to do acting, but I think it will also be a great platform for me. Uh, if I can use that, you know, if I manage to build up a not so bad public uh, image or presence, yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, if I can use that as a platform to then share my story and do other things and maybe get involved in architecture, but as an actress and combine both uh, disciplines, uh, I think that's the ideal uh, goal for me. And yeah. so that, that, that course brought you to London? Yeah. 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 So I did, yeah. So I did three years in New York and then my dream school was, it was in London, uh, uh, the architecture, architecture association, the AA, whereas I had did studied and it was okay. I said, okay. And I also wanted to be closer to home. Um, I've been away for so long. I wanted to be able to go back home easily and I applied to the AA, got in and then for my final two years, I then transferred to Central St. Martins. And um, yeah, so I, I instantly felt at home in London. Like I never felt at home in New York. I never loved New York. Uh, London, I, I loved everything about it. I can go to France, you know, easily and go back home. It's not, uh, even if I don't go enough, just knowing I can. Um, yeah, so that's what brought me uh, five years ago now. Yeah, because I'm going to say you've lived in. Obviously, you've been in Mexico, New York, France. Yeah. Um, what what is it about London that feels so at home? Why do you feel so? I at home think what even if people are surprised by this when I say it, I think what's the most uh, you know um, impactful thing for me that I I thought people were so nice. <laughs> they were so nice to me, and and 
Um, and also the fact that, it, yeah, it's a very, the city is very spread out. It's very large, but um, it's composed of small villages. I love that I can, well, I have, you know, you have your local market, your local, I hope, ha I love having my little habits that you cannot have in Mexico. You cannot go out and walk. It's very insecure. And, uh, and New York is, is there, there are a lot of also parks in London. It feels very homey. It feels very, um, yeah, I'm from village in the South of France. So I think I found that in London, mm. which in New York is impossible, uh, unless you're very very rich <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah new, york, new york is quite claustrophobic isn't it there's so yeah. many people packed in that's interesting you say that about people being nice in london though because i think london's got a reputation for people not being that friendly so i'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm really i'm really pleased that's been your experience mm. yeah 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 no compared to new york i love mexico and they're super nice but i think new york was so stressful for me and it's, it's definitely a concrete jungle and and i didn't i mean three years were was already too much for me and and people don't talk to each other. If you talk to someone or if you ask directions, they almost want to know, like, why are you talking to me? <laughs> and uh, it wasn't, and I'm, and same in France. I'm from the South. We're much more open than in Paris. In Paris, if you go into a store and you say, mm. hi, how are you? They look at you like, oh. why? Like, what's her problem? What does she want? <laughs> it's always, what does she want? Yeah. And in the South, we're like this. We're just, you know, you talk to people easily. It's, you know, everyone knows each other. And, and here in London, at least my, uh, maybe not because I've been here for five years. I got mm. so used to it. I don't, I don't see it anymore, but it's, it, yeah, it was, um, it was a shock to me to see how nice people were. I mean, that, that's how, that's how really people should be that's how life should be we should all be like people from the south of france and just being nice to people and <laughs> yeah. whenever i'm in town and if anyone comes a tourist asks me for directions i always try my best to like give good directions even if they're not right or good i try and be friendly and open. Yeah. i think people will see that if you're a local see that as you know you re almost representing london so and it doesn't and it doesn't take much it, it doesn't no. take much to smile or be nice or say hello or let someone walk by or give them directions or whatever or just chat for 10 seconds like say hello to someone selling the newspaper i don't know these things are really small gestures that take five seconds but actually can you know talking about you're talking about someone that's moved here talking about how friendly people are these can have long-lasting implications on someone mm -hmm. of, of a city mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And then I started doing it as well. If a tourist asks me, then I'm going <laughs> to give them directions. I think it's also trusting your gut feeling. If you think, you know, that person looks normal and you're outside. London is a very safe uh, and secure city compared to New York and Mexico. So uh, there's nothing. What are you going to lose five seconds of your day? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, I get annoyed when people don't say thank you, like if I'm letting them pass by the. But that's, I know. A different, that's a whole different thing. That's, yeah. that's my that's my issue. That's but you know what I found? You smile at people if they look at you and you say hello and they don't respond. Smile at them, or if people don't expect you to look at them in the eye or smile or say hello. And sometimes maybe one or two people will say, "Oh." And then next time they will do it. So I see like, you know, it's like the virus and the isolation. If one starts doing it, it will spread out. <laughs> yeah. on the happiness. Yeah. yeah. Spreading the happiness. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, yeah, just like you say, little tiny gestures yeah. of kindness, they can really make such a big impact on someone's day. So yeah. I, I'm an advocate of smiling and saying hello, definitely. Yeah, same on the tube, you know, like people are very, very selfish on the tube. Uh, 
uh, if you have a disability and you don't see it and maybe you need to be sitting down but you look fine people are ah but then okay so when someone needs to sit down and you actually do it people are surprised like i've mm. seen so many times people that had to shout out other people so they could sit down on the tube you know it's it should be a very simple thing yeah it's a bit of a free-for-all on the london tube have you found that then with your own you know your own difficulties yeah 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 because you know i i of course if i can i i need to sit down on the tube there's if i'm let's say i'm carrying bags i'm carrying things i cannot hold onto uh the bar uh, uh on the tube what do i do but then it's not something you can see uh and then i'm gonna sit down and then People, if it's very busy, people think you're selfish for for sure. That I've I've seen it, and I've had even in France, not just here. It's not just London. France, I've had, um, you know, people telling me, mm. coming up to me and telling me wow. that, for example, I was with. I remember very clearly. I think the moments when I was in those three years in physical therapy. These are very, I have very. Sh- Sometimes my memory is very blurry, but some days it's extremely clear and sharp. And I was in physical therapy and it was, I was taking care of myself in a way that I, I, I always wanted to have makeup on and my hair done to feel good. And I was with my mother on the, on the tube in the metro in Paris and I sat down and someone told me, she's the adult, you should let her sit down. She's the eldest one. What are um, you sitting, you as if I was a little spoiled brat, you know, mm. so it impacts you a lot. I was 21, 22 and going through a lot of trauma. So it's not, it doesn't feel good. So I'm trying, you know, uh, or if I, now if I, I think growing and older, you also less, not as shy. I'm, I'm an actress, but then in life I'm very, very private. I'm very, I'm a extrovert introvert. Um, and, but now I'm going to tell people, like, maybe let her sit down. If she needs it. You know, like I'm going to, I, I think, um, talking to, I talk to people much more directly and tell them. Yeah. I was on the tube once actually, uh, going into town and a pregnant lady got on and every seat was full up and every single person stood up. That lady. Oh, wow. and it was such a nice moment it was so Give nice. me chills. and then she sat down with her husband and they were talking to the people next to them and the people opposite were asking questions and it was a really nice doesn't happen a lot but it was a really nice little no. moment of yeah. oh this is actually london as it should be and as yeah. it is at, at its heart i think as it is but you know, people react differently sometimes people, mm-hmm. get awkward, people get very awkward especially you know us brits are very awkward uh, as a nation and you don't we try to be on this podcast actually Charles, don't we you, you you don't know what someone's background is. You don't exactly. know what their history is. You don't know what day they're having. Mm. Yeah. When people have a bad reaction to me or rude to me, yes, I get offended, obviously, because I'm mm-hmm. a very sensitive soul. But mm-hmm. I also try and think, okay, that person might have difficulties. I don't know. That person mm-hmm. might have had a exactly. bad day. They might have a bad home life or something. So you'd never know the bigger picture. Um, but we're emotional people, so it's hard sometimes to react like that. Exactly. Absolutely. But no, your, your story just gave me chills when you were telling me about it. I've never seen it and it must have been, yeah. It was the only time, but it was just, yeah, it stayed with me. It was really, it was a nice moment. Mm-hmm. Wow. 
Okay. We <laughs> are <laughs> reflecting. Yeah. 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 In French, we say in French we say that a little angel went through the room. <laughs> oh, I like that. That's nice. Yeah, I like that. That's really nice. Well, look, well, shall so we shall we end the podcast? But I we, think we, we don't we don't normally have people on the like, on the podcast that are something to promote. And you've been talking about but booking jobs and not booking jobs, obviously. But you do have a film coming out soon. Yeah, um, yeah. I, it was going to come out in June, but uh, yeah, I'm in the upcoming Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, super excited about it. Yeah, uh, yeah, again, this cool. has been amazing experience in terms of what we just talked about. The director was like, so understanding and and had no issue with it and did everything to make me comfortable and send custom designers. I had the best experience on set. Um, super excited it comes out for now august the 14th of august but they only want to have it in uh, in the cinema for now they want it on the big screen so i don't know if it's going to happen to be honest i think it's just like yeah it's difficult to predict at the moment because we don't know when people are allowed out and and to do things in public but um that's so nice to hear that you had a really positive experience with that and it, it proves that those people are exist. out there. Those people <laughs> yeah. exist. They yes. are out there. Like my like two people, you know, they do exist. They are out there and yeah. they can help have a positive impact on your yeah. life. And again, and if we can then pass that on ourselves to other people, then that's how we make sort of life as good as possible. For exactly. Mm. I, I had a lot of, you know, of, of press tours and interviews and I never talked about, well, everything we talked about now. <laughs> but I, yeah, and I'm always, they always ask me, what was your best memory on set? I never, never talked about this, but it's, it is, it is what impacted me the most is how understanding the whole crew was. And my fear was, I got booked, I did everything I didn't tell them, and then it was no need. When do you share? Yeah, at one point, is it, you know, necessary to share? So as usual, I said, during fittings, custom designers and, and then the director, because we have stunts, the director had to tell them just at least I thought maybe, I don't know how that works, insurance purposes, I, they need to know. Yeah. Um, and, I, and they were the most amazing people I've worked with, the crew, the, the stunt coordinators, the actors working with me. Um, so understanding and just feeling that no problem, no issue. Like they treated me like... Uh, Unfortunately, you're not always treated like a normal person. <laughs> they, they, I didn't feel uncomfortable, and they also made everything, adapted everything so it could work out uh, for me and the way I needed it. Just yeah, I, it was. Shit. Patty Jenkins is just unbelievable. I cannot stress it enough. Unbelievable, not just director, like human being. And mm-hmm. Gal Gadot is same. Uh, she's. Um, a real, true, 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 real life Wonder Woman. I can, I admire her a lot. That's so good to hear. That's so good. It to is, hear. Yeah, it's lovely. Um, Sarah, we normally end the podcast by getting our guests just to give their advice on on blank moments. And talking to you has been so inspiring and so interesting. <laughs> it's been wonderful. You've been such an thank amazing you. guest. Yeah, um, thank you, Sarah. But we just we just like to end with our guests' advice for anyone listening that having their own blank moments, whatever that may be in their life, what would your advice be to them? I think, um, I think find, um, an output, find a way to let those things to express whatever is happening, uh, inside you and embrace it, that it's okay to have a blank moment. It's okay to feel 
bad or not to be at your best and find a way, um, even if it's going to be a challenge at the beginning and you're not going to be maybe able to focus or physically do it, whatever, start doing it. And your, your body is, is a machine and it will adapt and it will um, help you through it. I think finding activities for me from when I was in, you know, on a, in a hospital bed for three months, I think it was from taking a notebook and just, I had to learn how to write again from the, for, on the next, on the left side. So let's just do the alphabet. Today's challenge is the alphabet. Today's challenge is my name to you know, yeah. so really being patient and taking it day by day. And I think the most important thing, what helped me is that to understand that it's okay to have them, yeah. to have those days. Yeah. It helps. Sarah Bolander, thank you so much yeah, for being thank on the you. Thank you so thank much. You, Sarah. It was a yeah, pleasure. Really and thank you so much for being so candid with us as well. Of course. No, thank you for letting me share that. I've no, never done great. it before and I got a bit emotional. And, and I'm I did too. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was wonderful. Thank you. We really, really, really appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Uh, it's pleasure. been such a pleasure talking to you today. It's me too. Lovely. Same here. Um, I've got a quick thought, Giles. I didn't say this earlier. Mm. Should we do a quick screen grab? I've done it. Us? Oh, you've done it. Oh, great. Oh, cool. Perfect. For our thumbnail or something, but you've done it all right. Cool. Right, he's the head of the game. <laughs> what you I know, did as well. Me. Yeah. I recorded it. Um, oh, you are a legend. Oh, thanks. I have little cameras here. You really are the perfect guy. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll share that with you as well. Thank perfect. you so much. Yeah, yeah. Just yeah, just ping it over on WeTransfer or something like that. Sounds good. Brilliant. Sarah, thank you so much. much. Thank you. Yeah. Have a brilliant rest of the day. You too. And take, take care. care. Okay. Bye. Thanks, Sarah. Bye. Bye. Well, there you go. That was Sarah Belando on the Blank podcast. I'm still sort of thinking about it and stewing over everything we talked about. And um, stewing is probably not the word, right word. Reflecting, yeah, on what, what I we think it'll be one of those episodes actually where hopefully our listeners will probably feel the same. And I think it's one of those episodes that will stay with you actually. And uh, there's so many bits in it that I, I know over the coming months and years probably will pop back in my head, and I'll remember yeah. that bit. Or I'll be in a situation where I'll think, oh, Sarah said this about this. So, yeah, just a, a real a real sort of journey, that episode. Yeah, and you know what? Um, you and I were talking before we started recording off air about something that I was... Um, some creative thing that wasn't going quite right for me. Yeah. And uh, kind of put that in perspective a little bit. And yeah. um, it's actually taken my mind off it. There you go. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, we've got some uh, texts and we tweets. we got some and tweets. We've got a tweet and a review. We've got a tweet and a review. Uh, also, I'd like to thank everybody who's followed us on Twitter because we are now at 10,000 followers. 10K. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. If, if only they list, all listened well. every week. Yeah. Yeah, do I'll follow Jim Daily Comedy at, on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah. Um, the moment that, when, the, when the blank overtook me, that was a, <laughs> that was a somber moment for me. Uh, though it's wonderful. We, yeah, we, we get yeah, such thank you. great interaction on Twitter and, and people are so supportive. So we, 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 are, we love yes. it. We love all of our 10,000 followers. Thank you. Uh, I've got um, 
And a tweet here from Rachel B, and she's at not Rachel Brown, and she's a caught up with blank podcast interview with Melvin O'Doom during this morning's eight mile run. That's impressive. Ooh. Seems like a top bloke, and love the emphasis that you might not be the best at what you do, but being nice to people and being nice person can open opportunities. Cheers, Melvin. Wise words. Hashtag. Very true. I mean, Melvin is. I can confirm Melvin is a top bloke. He's absolutely lovely. And oh, um, I'd forgotten man. about that, but he is bang on. And actually, that comes up in this week's, in this, uh, week's episode as well. Yeah, I'll tell you two amazing things about Melvin Adum. Yeah. Um, this In the last week, he he did a DJ set in his in his kitchen dining room. <laughs> amazing. Right? Live Instagram. And he was amazing. It was, I, I watched it. I started watching it. It was really good. He was loving it. He was loving it. Of course he was. He was like a proper, he was like he was in a he was in Ibiza. <laughs> um so it was amazing. And the other thing was I messaged to see how he was doing. I've been sort of randomly messaging various people, see how they're doing during the lockdown. Messaged him because we'd seen him on Ninja Warrior. We'd never watched Ninja Warrior ever before, but this last Saturday night, we decided to watch it. The kids were wanting something silly to watch, so we watched Ninja Warrior, and they loved it. And Melvin and Ricky were the sort of celeb people to do it. And unfortunately, Melvin landed in the water quite early on. (laughs) He probably enjoyed it. It's fine. Yeah, I think he did, yeah. Um, He's a bit of a showman as well, which was good. But I messaged him to say, well done and uh, commiserations and also that uh, the kids have been enjoying it and he sent a message to Eli and Sonny saying hey you guys and big shout because they're massive fans of Melvin's from his Lego Masters days um oh, so yeah. they made their evening having a message from Melvin so what top bloke he is what a top guy although it was never in doubt um I've got an iTunes review here from Jew Rose 62 who says I must listen to podcast. I love the concept of this. It's refreshing to listen to people talking without being interrupted. I've enjoyed every episode. Uh, thank you very much. That's a really nice review. That was lovely. Yeah. Um, I need to go and have a little lie down and think about mm. <laughs> everything yeah. that happened today. Um, so I think that wraps up our pod. But, um, mate, it's been lovely to talk to you as ever. And you, Jim. It's always a pleasure to spend an hour and or plus in your company. Yeah. And thank you to Sarah as well for being yeah, a wonderful, thanks, wonderful guest. And we wish her all the best uh, for whatever she does. Clearly, it, who knows? She can do anything, yeah. really. She's so talented. Absolutely. So, um, yeah. And in the meantime, thank you to our listeners for listening and supporting us and your tweets and your reviews and following us on social media. We hope you are safe and well. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on the Blank Cod podcast. So, Giles, have a good week. The Blank Cod's past. <laughs> Is that what I said? <laughs> yeah. Blank... That's the fishing pod that we're going to, the spin-off fishing pod. That we're it's a historical fishing um, <laughs> podcast. It's the Cod's past. Oh, man. All right, we'll work on that uh, <laughs> during the week. Um, amazing. Uh, have a good week, mate. And you, take care. And uh, we'll see you again soon on the Blank Podcast. Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like are you a fist pumper a woohooer a hand clapper a high fiver 
I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At ChumbaCasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This is a Glass Box Media Podcast.